Well, I was, uh, I was fresh out of college. I had just graduated, and I was stepping into my first student ministry position, and that's when I decided, you know, every student ministry should lay a, a very proper foundation of understanding the Bible. And so I decided, what a better place to start than to talk about the, the messianic foreshadowing on, and the intent of God's grace as we see it evidence throughout his covenantal law of the Old Testament, right? Super, super interesting and engaging stuff. We, a bunch of 6th through 12th graders, who, would, who wouldn't really want to learn some of these things? Uh, essentially, I was talking about, well, how do the laws of the Old Testament point to the need for Jesus as Messiah? And uh, I, I, had, I had finished the first lesson, and I felt like none of them had actually fallen asleep, at least physically, probably mentally they did at this point. And they had kind of filled out their little fill-in-the-blank sheets that I had given to them. And, all right, so uh, do you guys have any, any questions? And they all just kind of stared at me with these blank faces. And then after a few moments, this, this kid, I remember, seventh grade kid in a, in a, a Minecraft t-shirt slips a hand up and he asks me the most poignant question I've ever been asked in ministry. He just put it out there and it's essentially the question that we're tackling this morning. He asked me this, he asked me this question. He just says, what, what is the point of the Bible? I was floored. I was kind of taking a step back. I, I, I had no answer for him. I kind of began to stumble. Uh, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? We're, we're here at church. We're, we're, we're studying. What, what do you mean? What is the point of the Bible? If somebody asked you that question today, maybe over lunch, maybe sometime this week, and somebody said, hey, hey, I, I hear that you're, you're a Christian or, or that you go to church. What, what's really the point of, of that book? What's the point of the Bible? How, how would you answer it? You know, we might want to turn to Psalm 119 where it talks about uh, that your word is a lamp unto my feet. Maybe Hebrews chapter 4 where it says the word of God is, is uh, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. But what actually is the point of you see, when I, when I pick up this book and I think about what it's trying to communicate me from, to, to, to me from front to back, from Genesis to Revelation, what is its point? You see, in essence, the Bible is a story. It's a story about how a loving and merciful God satisfied his own just wrath to rescue us, to redeem us back into a relationship with him all through the work of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That through the work of Jesus on the cross, through his grace, his love, his mercy, has invited us to live eternally with God as God had originally intended. You see, back in the fall, we did a series called Long Story Short where we kind of unpacked this at greater depth. But I want to give you a quick refresher about week one from that series where we talked about the, the meta-narrative of Scripture, the grand story of the Bible. We said, like every good story, the Bible follows that similar plot. We said, in the beginning, God created everything to be in shalom. It was perfect. It wasn't lacking anything. It was like a circle. It was harmonious. And then the tension creeped in, and that tension is sin, and it broke that original intent of our wholeness, our relationship, our peace with God. 
And throughout the Old Testament, we see this cycle in which the people of God, the people of creation begin to spin out of control. And it seems like all hope is lost for creation for all, all, all time. And then in a moment's instance, we see this man by the name of Jesus, God's one and only son, lives a perfect life. And out of his love, he willingly dies on a cross. When he raises from the grave three days later, he triumphs over sin and death and, and, and reverses that sin cycle that we all get trapped into, resulting in a perfect, permanent, eternal relationship with God. We were putting it this way. We said, so in the Old Testament, what we see is this building up of a need for Jesus to come. And then when we turn the pages after the resurrection of Jesus, the rest of the New Testament points back to the accomplished work of Jesus. And so as we continue in our habits series this morning, we want to talk about the spiritual discipline of Bible intake. You see, most of us, to some degree or another, would intuit that uh, the Bible should have influence on our lives as Christians. But before it can have influence, we probably ought to know what it says. But we've been laying this, this phrase out there every single week about the point of all of these habits that we believe God is calling us to use in our lives. We've been putting it this way, that the point of the do is to lead you to the who. That the point of the do, the habit, the discipline, whether that's, that's Bible intake, prayer, fasting, solitude, using your gifts, that the point of the do isn't just to do that thing to get a gold star up in heaven. Rather, we do those things in this life because it takes us to the who. It's how we spend time with God, abiding in God, remaining in God, craving God in our lives. That God isn't necessarily just after behavior modification in our lives. Rather, he wants us to be transformed by the grace of God. And oftentimes, it's these tools that represent that grace. And today, the tool we're going to unpack is the tool of Bible intake. Whether that's reading scripture, whether that's studying certain passages, whether that's hearing sermons or memorizing certain passages... Most of our topic today will cover about the actual reading of Scripture. See, the weird thing about talking about why should you read the Bible in a sermon, it's that whole concept of what we like to call circular reasoning. Well, well we should read the Bible because the Bible says we, we, we should probably read the Bible. And so we answer the question of reading the Bible because the Bible says we should read. And it just goes around and around. And that's not a very compelling answer. That's not a very motivating answer. And so my hope for today is to give you maybe an answer that is a little more appropriate and a little more foundational, but in order to do that, we've got to start at the beginning. See, from the very beginning, we see this concept of God speaking, that his actual words are creating life. And it's not that just God spoke in the beginning of creation, but it's that he is still speaking life. He's speaking life today to each and every one of you in this moment, in this time, in this week, in this month, in the year of 2019. God is still speaking life into you and into his creation. At the very beginning, though, uh, of the word of God, we see how everything starts. If we turn to the beginning of scripture in Genesis chapter 1 and in the first of two creation accounts, this is where we see God speaking life 
Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And from here, it's going to say, and God said, and then he will create everything. But if we skip forward to the good parts where you and I come in, in verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. In the other creation account, so to speak, in John chapter 1, we see a different form of the word, word being used. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then in verse 14, we begin to understand what this word, word means. That the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, that is Jesus, who came from the father full of grace and truth. You see, this is why we intake the Bible into our lives as followers of Jesus. It's because God spoke and it was written down. Some people call that inspiration, that God spoke, people heard, prophets uh, uh, received a word of God, and so they wrote it down. That is the word of God. The word of God is the verbal and written sovereign will of God in this life. So what is the point of Bible intake? We need to start here. It's that God speaks life. That when we, when we pick up this book, when we read its pages, when we take it in, when we know and live and apply the resurrection of Jesus, is that God speaks life. That the same words at the beginning of creation, the same words that are being spoken to us today and the words that we will receive forevermore are the same words that God spoke life in creation in the beginning, that God spoke life into your lungs as a human being, and that God spoke new life into you through the work of his son, Jesus. That's the truth of the gospel message. That, that scripture tells us that we are broken, we are shattered, we are sinful, and out of his great love and mercy that God has made us new again to invite us into a relationship with him by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because God said, because God declared, this is my son in which I am well pleased. This is the son whom I love and who will willingly give himself up so that I can make the world right with me. God spoke life in the beginning. He speaks new life through Jesus. And he's speaking life to you today. Meaning... As a part of that creation, you are literally a word of God. Therefore, if God is speaking, we should be listening. If God is speaking, we should be listening to the words that he is speaking into us. If God's intent is always to speak life and he wants us to have life and have it to the full, we should be listening. 
And Bible intake is all about how we listen to those words, how we listen to the word of God in our lives. 2 Timothy 3 says, all scripture is inspired or God breathed, purposeful and intentful. Joshua says in his narrative account that we ought to meditate on scripture day and night. But I love Jesus's emphaticness about the word of God. There's this great moment in Jesus's life in which he's beginning to understand humanity in his fullness. And look what happens in Matthew chapter 4. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) Who would it be? Then the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It says, and Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because God's words speak Now, I don't know about you, but after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, I'm probably pretty hungry and thinking I need something other than a few pages uh, to chew on. But Jesus is being emphatic about the way in which we curb our hunger, the way in which whenever our, our tummies begin to growl and we satisfy that hunger, it should be the same for our souls, that our souls should hunger and thirst and crave the word of God in that same manner. And it is only God's word that speaks life and fulfills and quenches that hunger. Now, the awkward thing, the weird thing about intaking the Bible into our lives is that nowhere in Scripture does it give us a a specific, 100% clear-cut how-to. Well, there's a couple different reasons for that. Number one is is most people, during the time in which Scripture was written, most of them were illiterate. They they, they couldn't read to begin with. And not only that, is Bibles weren't available, that there are oftentimes these big scrolls and people had to copy them. And so that's probably part of it. I think the the more intentional part of it is that, well, that would make it formulaic. That would mean that only the people who can follow the formula the best are the ones who can get closest to Jesus. And since it's because of the grace that we've been extended, we need to understand that that our faith isn't formulaic. Grace in and of itself is is a very lopsided formula. It's two plus two equals five. It, it It doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. You see, there's, there's nowhere in Scripture that, that says, well, well, if you want to hear from God, here's how you exactly do it. You need to wake up at uh, this specific time, and you need to cross your legs in this way and put one hand in your back pocket, and then you put the other hand over your head, and then you say these words for this amount of time. And if the sun is aligned and, and the birds are out and it's this time of the year, then, then God will speak to you audibly. No, 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 nowhere in Scripture does it tell us this is the specific way to hear the voice of God. Rather, it's that God has spoken, and those words were recorded, that his words speak life. They were written down for you to read, to see, to chew on, to hunger and thirst over them, and to receive life. So the question is, are you listening? Are you eating from the word of God? Are you placing yourself in the path of his grace to hear from him? 
I know some of you are probably sitting here, like, okay, yeah, 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 I'm, 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 I'm on board, I get you, I get you, I get you, but can you give me a little something a little more specific, something a little more tangible to it? And, and so, yeah, yeah, I'll play ball with you today. Now, what I don't want to do is give you a specific tool, but I want to give you something that might challenge and encourage you when you think about intaking the word of God into your own life. And it's the difference between head knowledge and heart change when it comes to hearing and understanding the word of God. See here, I think we need to start and understand this, is that head knowledge doesn't necessarily equal heart change. That knowing just facts about the Bible isn't going to really transform your heart. That if you can tell us all 66 books of the Bible in proper order, if you can list off the, the 12 disciples... If you can give us the syntax of certain verbs or verses, head knowledge doesn't necessarily equate to heart change. Now, now don't get me wrong here. They are both essential and they are both important. But if all you have is a bunch of facts, it doesn't mean necessarily that your heart has been changed. But if all you're after is heart change and you have zero head knowledge, you might not know if your heart is being transformed into the proper thing. And so when we think about intaking the Bible, we need to understand that these two things work together. That our head knowledge should lead to heart change, and our heart change should lead for a desire, a bigger thirst for the knowledge of God. That the more I learn and understand God, I am overwhelmed by his grace and his mercy, and it transforms my heart. And the more that my heart is changed by the grace of God, the more I want to know more about this God of the universe who loves me and cares for me. Both are essential and needed. But I think we can put it this way. When we talk about head knowledge and heart change as we intake the word of God into our life. It's that we read for breadth. And we study for depth. That we read for breadth. So when you pick up the Bible and you're just going to read through its pages, you read through chapters, you, you read through books, you're surveying the landscape of Scripture, you're trying to get from cover to cover, just trying to see the big picture, the, the greatest notions about God's love, his grace, his mercy, his wrath, his justice, his compassion, and how it all flows together. In the same way you pick up your favorite fiction novel, you're not stopping at every paragraph looking for connected words per se, but you're reading one chapter after another to get the heart of what is being said. We read for breath. We read to see the heart of God unfold before our eyes. We read to see how God has spoken life into us. But then we study for depth. This is where we slow down. We pump the brakes. I want to know more about God's love. I want to know more about his grace, his compassion, his will. Because that's when we begin to kind of piece things apart. We look at connections. We look at words. We dig deeper into the truths of the word of God that lay beneath the surface. We ask those minute questions of faith. It's maybe a little bit more about quality than quantity in those moments. We consult the commentaries, the scholars, the original language. We're looking to learn. We stop. We study for depth, for the knowledge of God. Let me give you an illustration this morning of how this became aware to me. And my intent of this story, it's, it's, it's not to be pretentious, but it's to kind of just be real with where I stood at one point in my life. 
You see, I was uh, about a couple weeks from finishing my master's degree in New Testament and spiritual formation. And the way that the class worked, it was all online, but then we had these cohorts that every summer, the same group of students, we would come together and we'd spend an entire week together from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. We would spend time reading and studying and talking, getting to know one another. And we were wrapping up the, the, the entire course and we were talking about the implications of the spiritual disciplines in our personal lives and the spiritual formation for the entire church body. And I was presumably being a little arrogant or crash, probably talking about the need for more inductive Bible study and how it's essential. And are you even really a disciple if you don't know the 12 steps or blah, 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 blah. It's at this moment in which Dr. Owens, he was my, my cohort leader, my professor, with immense amount of grace, he stopped. Because he could sense the passion and the zeal, but he knew what was off in my life that I wasn't even aware of. And with great love, he paused, and in front of the class, he did this, and he said, Eric, you can tell me much about the heart, the head of God, but what can you tell me about his heart? You can tell me a lot about the head of God, but what can you tell me about the heart of God? And this is in this moment, I, well, I wanted to like, well, let me, I, I, I can find a bunch of passages and I can connect them and, and show you and tell you. And then I knew that wasn't hit the point. I was shocked. I was convicted. I was hurt, but he was right. See, we had this guy in our cohort, we called him Wise Man Joe. And Joe was a, a guy who worked utilities and maintenance at, at Johnson University for pretty much his entire career. And he was simply auditing the course. And, and he was that guy, whenever he opened his mouth to say every, something, everyone would just kind of be like, shush, shush, Joe's going to speak, so everyone better listen up. This is going to be good. And, and, and Joe, he, he was sitting to my right, and he turned to me, and he, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said to me, he said, Eric, I have found the knowledge of God to be of great priority. And I was like, yeah, 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 me too. And he said, but I have found the heart of God to be of the utmost value. The knowledge of God had penetrated my head with great degree, with classes, with GPA, with papers, with a library. But Dr. Owens and wise man Joe, they had the calloused hearts and knees that represented a heart that also understood God. Jesus had penetrated my head, but minimally was he working at my heart because I wasn't quite ready to listen. Some of my uh, favorite spiritual mentors in this life, they all happen to be gardeners. And I don't really know why, but it's just something they all seem to have in common. And as I was preparing for this message, I was drawn to this illustration that I think best exemplifies how we ought to intake the Bible into our lives as believers. Let me, let me share with you that illustration this morning. I believe when we intake the Bible, there's a difference between raking and digging. There are times in which we need to pick up a rake. Now, I'm not a huge gardener, but I hope you can uh, kind of appreciate this illustration. Now, when you pick up a rake, what you're really trying to do with the rake is to just get everything off the top. 
and you 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 rake and you rake and, and the rake is fairly light and you can cover a lot of ground and what you're trying to do is just survey the landscape of your yard by raking that's on the surface and kind of get into a pile and then get rid of that pile. And the great thing about raking, I I, I like raking is because in, in 10 minutes. In 10 simple minutes, you can see a massive difference because you see the intent of the landscape that you have in your yard simply by raking. And so when we read for breadth, that's what we're trying to do is we're raking the pages of Scripture, just trying to see the beauty of the whole landscape that is already there. We rake for breadth. But then there are also times... We need to pick up a shovel. Digging's not fun. It's heavy. It's, it's not someone, hey, you want to go have some fun? Let's go dig a bunch of holes in my backyard. It's usually like, hey, what do you need help on? Oh, you're going to dig some trenches? Yeah, I think I'm busy. I don't think I can make it. There are those times where you need to pick up a shovel and you need to dig. But when you dig, it requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of energy. That if you have the proper tools, that makes digging so much easier. But we know what you don't do is you don't dig up your whole yard. You only dig where you find it necessary. And so when we study for depth, that's what we're doing is we're picking up a shovel when we need to. And we dig into scripture in those moments. And we dig because we have found something interesting, something important, something where we want to just go deeper in that spot to uncover the nutrients or the source that is there or to allow something else to flow into it. And so as we talk about intaking the Bible in our lives... We read for breath. We rake to see the landscape of God's glory. And we study for depth. We dig when it is necessary. But the key is, the key is knowing the shape of your yard. It's knowing the season that you're in. It's, it's the moments in which you need to decide. Is this a season in which I am simply raking, or is this a moment in which I pick up a shovel and dig deeper? You see, we need to prepare our yards, our hearts, to see the landscape of God's glory so that we can be ready for the harvest. So what's the point of the Bible? Why should we exercise the discipline of taking the word of God into our lives? Well, I think it's this. It's the way in which we listen to the word of God through reading, through studying, through depth, through breadth, through memorizing, through sermons, through all of those things. We listen to the word of God so that you might hear a word from we listen to the word of God through the tool of intaking the word into our lives so that you might hear a word from God, a word that speaks life. So let me ask you this morning, what do you hear God saying to you today? Are you listening? Have you put yourself in the path to hear the word of God? Have you been raking? Have you been digging? Have you been digging where you need to maybe stop and rake? Or have you been raking for so long that maybe it's time to pick up the shovel and dig at a couple spots? But ultimately, are you hearing the life that God speaks through 
his word. If you're like me, you're probably saying, okay, well, how do I do that? What are, what are the tangible ways I can live this out in my own life? And this is why we're, we, we've loved this series because we have a resource available to all of you as a church or anyone. You have to be a part of our church to access it. If you just go uh, to our church website, fcc-online.org, forward slash habits, you will find a page there. And every week as we go through this series, we have unloaded some tools and things that help you along the way. And we're excited about this one because we think that there are different tools, whether it's going to help you read for breadth or study for depth, or maybe it's going to dig in a different way than you've dug before. Maybe there's a different way to survey the landscape of Scripture but we'd encourage you, if you want to know more about how to exercise the habit and discipline of the word of God, we encourage you to go there. And so as we close this morning, I want to end with a passage that really speaks to this idea of taking the word of God so that it can change our head and our hearts. Psalm 119, starting in verse 9, says this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So as we move to a time of response this morning, I want to... uh, challenge and encourage you to take that next step in your Bible intake and walk with God. There's a, a study done that says if you were to, to uh, pick up the Bible and try to read it cover to cover, it would take the average person about 70 hours. Now that, That's pretty daunting. 70 hours is, is a lot of time. That's like over three days straight, right? Here's the thing is that the average American spends about 70 hours a month in front of a television. Just what if, what would happen in your life, in your faith, the life of your family, the life of this church, the life of this community for the mission of God? What if, if we all just exchanged our Bibles for the TV for just one month? What kind of revival or outbreak might happen when we were all consuming and hearing and listening to what God has to say to us in that capacity? If you took the 70 hours and you multiplied that by 60, that would give you, and you get my math here, uh, 4,200 minutes. And if you took that 4,200 minutes and you divided that by 365 days, that would come out to 11.5 minutes a day. That you could read for breadth the scripture, the knowledge, and the heart of God in 11 and a half minutes a day. What would our lives look like? What would your spiritual life look like if you exercised the small discipline 
of 11 and a half minutes a day hearing from the word of God? Or what if, what if you just started with one minute? And then the next week, you just did two minutes a day and then three minutes, then five minutes. What if you started with just one day a week? And then the next, the next week you, you, you wanted to go to just two days a week and then three and then four and then five and then six and then, then what would it look like if we all just took one tiny step forward and committed to hearing from God a little bit more than we all did now? And I think it goes back to understanding the story of God as a whole, the rescuing, the redeeming power of God that if Jesus is the only way and this is the representation of that truth in our lives, if God is speaking, then we should be listening. You can listen by reading for yourself. You can listen by listening to a sermon. You can listen by memorizing scripture. You can listen by talking about the word of God with others in a group. You can listen and hear the life of God in many ways, but the only thing you need to do is to get to a point in which you hear. As the band continues uh, to get ready to lead us in worship this morning, we want to invite you to remember the word of God with us. That Jesus, in his last moments of this life, he partook in what we call the Last Supper, in which he was sitting with his disciples, and he took up a loaf of bread, and he broke it, and he said that this is my body, take and eat. Then he held up a cup, and he said, this is my body, my blood, spilt for you, shed for you, take and drink. And so this morning, as we continue to worship, we invite you to remember the life of Jesus and the same life that has been given to us because of his sacrifice.